people that got a lot of explaining to do to their wives. <laughs> a lot of explaining to do what happened to the reserve account money, what happened to the rainy day fund. There's a lot of explaining to do. There is an event in the Bible that it, it, was, it was an event that was so huge in the church that it was, the, it was their Super Bowl. It was their decision time. And there's a big event. And it was a catalyst. Because remember, a catalyst is a person or events that quickly causes change or action. Now, you can be a catalyst. An event that you're involved in could be a catalyst for change. It quickly changes the situation. In the first century, there was a thing called the Council of Jerusalem. You can find that in your Bible in Acts chapter 15. And this was a big, this was a big issue. It was, the, it was where the leaders got together with the church to decide something very important. It was a, very, it was a young church. As Marty said, 3,000 were baptized. They were growing. It, was, it had a lot of Jewish uh, members, people that were Jewish that got baptized and decided to follow Jesus. And they, uh, they, they said Moses was our leader, but they said now Jesus is a fulfillment. So they, they followed him to so the church. It had a lot of Jewish uh, disciples in there. But there was a salvation dispute because people were going around rescuing and baptizing those who were non-Jewish. So enough of those got baptized where it became an issue for some people in the church. And these were called the Gentiles. These were non-Jewish people. These are our peeps. These are our people. We are, if you're not Jewish, then you are a Gentile. It's a non-Jewish person. So this was a huge deal that some believe that the Gentiles could not follow Jesus before they followed Moses. They had to follow Moses first. And Moses had a certain requirement. God had a requirement for God's people in the Old Testament. For them to be known as God's people, there was a circumcision done to all the males. And that was a, a very big deal to the Jewish remnant because they just, that was the sign that we are God's people, we are different. The Gentiles never got that. Never did that. But since they were called out to be God's people, there was uh, the circumcision. And so some of the Jews in the church said, wait a minute, you can't be saving those people unless they become Jewish first and then follow Jesus. Just like we did. There's no way they can shortcut the process. They've got to go through Moses. And there was an issue. 
and there was a dispute, and there was, there was a crisis. This could have either destroyed the church, or catapulted the church to be a catalyst to save mankind. This was a big deal. This was the spiritual Super Bowl. So, the, t- the title of my lesson today is Unity is the Catalyst. Unity is a catalyst to, for an event to have a major change in your life. It could be an event. The chili cook-off was a catalyst. People came. They were encouraged. They liked it. They decided to come back to church. Maybe you're visiting for the first time. Maybe this service is going to be a catalyst for you. Like, wow, I came. You know, I really appreciated that welcome. I, I, I just was going to come just, cause, just to come. But now I'm going to engage people. Now I'm going to welcome people. Now I'm going to see people. And, and you're changing already. So let's look in your Bibles in Acts chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, I have your Bible on the board. If you're visiting with us, we want to welcome you. We have the Bible for you. We're going to make it easy for you. If you have to fumble around and trying to find the book of Acts, here is for you. So this is the account. This is the event. This was huge. This was a big deal. Okay. Here's how it started. Here's a little background. This is, this, is what, this is what started the whole thing. Some men came down from Judea, that's the area of Jerusalem. They went to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Okay, let's just stop for a second right there. That is a radical statement. Some guys come up to your church shirt line, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you are not saved. Well, well yeah, that's very judgmental, is it not? Yeah. That's extremely judgmental. And they were saying it with conviction. This brought Paul and Barnabas, who were in Antioch, doing good God's work, teaching the people, strengthening the church. It brought them into a sharp debate and dispute with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and the elders about this question. Here is the map. Here is Judea down here. If you see my little red little dot. So these guys went up to Antioch because there was some persecution. So they went up there and this church grew radically in size and, and numerically. Just a lot of people following Jesus. But it was mostly a Gentile church. And so the Jewish guys from down here went up there just to set them straight a little bit. <laughs> Got to go up there and fix the situation. Hey, when you guys are up there, wait, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. You guys aren't saved because you missed church last week. You guys aren't saved. I mean, they're throwing some stuff out that it kind of sounds biblical because according to the law of Moses, because the New Testament wasn't written just yet. All they had was the Old Testament, so what they said wasn't like totally out there. It wasn't out of left field. It was actually in Scripture, but the New Testament was still being in the process of being written. And, and Luke here gives us the account. So this is a very important situation. So the Antioch church wisely says, you know what? Why don't we go down to Jerusalem and let's get the apostles, the people that walk with Jesus. That's an apostle. You have to have to have been with Jesus from the beginning and seen the resurrection. Anyone that tells you they're an apostle, they must all be qualified by being in Jesus' ministry from the beginning and also seeing His resurrection. Those were the qualifications. And so this was a very important question. And they went down to Jerusalem 
to see them and the elders to answer this question because it has a little of a ring to it. They are quoting Moses. We don't have any other document that says otherwise. This is new territory, new ground. It was huge. So here they go. The church sent them on their way. And as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. You know, I love the story because here they are back here. And there's this, there's this, there's this crisis, you know, there's this problem. Are the Gentiles saved? And all the way down, they're telling everyone, Hey, the Gentiles are saved! This is awesome! You know, the, the question hasn't even been answered, but yet they are like, Hey, the Gentiles are being saved. And they're going all the way down, about a hundred miles down to Jerusalem, and they're telling everybody the Gentiles are saved. I love that because the conviction they had about what was going on could not stop them. Even though there was a dispute, their belief was everyone can be saved. They told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the brothers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. So they come down and there's going to be a, a couple meetings. You ever been in a meeting to discuss an issue? Yeah. It's a little nerve-wracking. It's a little tense when there's an issue on your heart and it's, it's in opposition to another brother or another disciple. It gets a little intense. You're like, oh, I, hope I hope I don't yell and scream. I hope I'm calm. I want to be righteous, but you know, I'm going to lay it out. This is my heart. I mean, it gets pretty intense when you're in a meeting. And so this was that kind of setting. It's like the Seahawks and the Broncos. It gets a little intense. They put on a helmet and shoulder pads, but this is an issue of the heart. And it's intense. Because Paul and Barnabas have been doing this all this work, rescuing and saving all these people. And these guys saying, hey, you can't do that. You're doing it completely backwards. That's intense. So we continue. Point number one. When a problem arises in your relationships... Pursue unity. Because there will be problems with you and someone in this room. Pursue unity. They went down. They, they marched down to Jerusalem. We want to be unified. We want to clarify. We want to pursue unity. It's more important than anything for us in the church is to be unified. Together. So this is important for us to understand. Pursue unity. Unity. Verse 5. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up. Which is is a remarkable sentence in the Bible. There were Pharisees who Jesus condemned because they were so self-righteous, they missed the point of His message. Some of them became Christians. Some of them got baptized. And they're in Jerusalem. And they're Bible scholars. They're the theologians of their day. They know the scriptures. They carry weight. When they speak, people listen. And so that's what they did. Say, wait, wait, wait. These Gentiles, wait a minute. The Bible says. The Bible says. You got to be circumcised. Law of Moses. They weren't random out of their mind, emotional. The Bible says. And so, they stood up in this meeting. They had a chance to speak. Because when you have a meeting, everyone gets to voice their, their, their feelings in their heart, right? Yep. So they belong to the part of the Pharisee. They stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. That was their conviction. That was their position. Pretty interesting position, but that was it. And it was strong. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. So that was 
the point of view, and then there was a discussion about, is that true? Is that right? What should we do? These Gentiles have already been converted. Uh, Paul has already told us the great things that God is doing. But yet here is a scripture that says, you know, the law of Moses says they've got to be circumcised. Because the Gentiles, they, 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 they're, they're really a non-religious people. They worship idols. They're wild people. And the Jews are more, you know, according to their civilized, they had order, they, they, they worship one God. It was really simple for them. You've got to do it this way. It's very easy. For the Gentile, it was very hard. So after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. Paul, Peter is referring, if you're a Bible reader, in Acts chapter 10, he has this encounter, he's told to go to this area, and he meets this, this Roman centurion, and he, all his Gentile family and friends, and he sees the Holy Spirit uh, come upon them. And it was radical, and it convinced Peter, like God is opening the door for Gentiles. So Peter can speak from experience, so that's why he kind of speaks to him and says, hey, I've seen God do this too. This is important. And he shares that. Because there is a bias that Jewish people had against the Gentiles. It was so thick. It was so rich. That if you're a Bible reader and you want to know how thick the bias is, go back to the Old Testament read a small letter called the Book of Jonah. It's a historical account of one Jewish man being forced by God to go and preach to the Gentiles and he does not want to do it. The bigotry was deep. I'm not going to go. And God makes him go. And there's this big fish. I'll let you finish the story. So, Paul, Peter speaks up. He says, hey, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. That's like cutting edge stuff right there. That's cutting edge. You ever go to a parenting class and here's something totally new and going, I've been doing it all wrong. <laughs> you go to those classes? I can't believe I'm not a, I'm not a good parent. You know, the kind is totally devastated. Well, Peter's saying, "Hey, look, God's saying He was always talking about this, that they would have a chance to hear." In verse eight, God, who knows the heart, showed that He accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as He did to us. He made no distinction between us and them. For he purified their hearts by faith. This is a huge cutting edge statement. He's saying there is no difference, guys. How God sees Jewish and God sees Gentile. There's no difference. God has a heart for both. God has purified the Jewish heart and he purified the Gentile heart. That's what I mean. By faith. It took a lot of faith for a Jewish man to put his faith in Jesus. It was tremendous. And not only that, Jesus said, if you believe in me, then hold to my teachings. That was the requirement that the Jewish had to do to follow Jesus. They not only had to believe, they had to follow. Believing was tough to follow Jesus if you're a Jewish guy. But the Gentiles, they're like, I believe in Jesus, so there's no distinction here. It's very important. Now then, Peter says, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear. The reason why he's bringing this question is because in the Old Testament law, there were 613 commandments. And you know what? No one can perfectly live those out. 
And so there was a frustration of trying to obey the law and be right with God, and they couldn't do it. You try going without sin for a week. Just go and give it a shot. Start today and call me tomorrow when you've blown it. Right? I tried that. I'm not going to sin this week thinking I'm going to be more righteous because I'm not sinning this week, right? And you make this little, I'm going to do it, and you go until 14 hours later and you go, boop, you're selfish. Boop, you're prideful. Boop, it's everywhere. I'm not a, I mean, and you're like, how can I be saved? You're saved by faith and grace. So that's what he's trying to say. Why are you trying to put something on them that we ourselves struggled with? We hated it. It was too much for us. Why do you want to put that same burden? We're free in Jesus. Let them be free in Jesus. So he's making a great argument there. He says, no. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved. Just as they are. You see, if you try to just be a good person, you'll be frustrated. Now, because you're a disciple, you strive to be a good person. But just because you do great acts doesn't mean you're right with God. Just because you're charitable doesn't mean you're right with God. It's your relationship with God. It's that you're saved through grace. And because of grace, we do good works. We go help the RAIN project in, in, in our community. We go to Ventura and help the poor and feed the homeless. We go and help our own communities. We go and raise Christian families. We go and teach people. We invite people because we're saved by grace. Not to get saved. Because that would put us back into the law of Moses. You've got to do, do, do in order to go to heaven. And you cannot do enough to get to heaven. It is impossible. But because you have a relationship with Jesus, you're inspired to do good works. I want to help people. I want to, I want to communicate. I want to engage. And point number two, everyone can be saved by grace. You know, there are certain people I think about, no, there's no, no way. It's impossible. I think about my brothers. They're not going to be saved. They can't. They're, just, they're too pagan. They're too crazy. In fact, I'm going to see them today, this afternoon. Mom called me two days ago. Left me a message. I was slated to go to Rodney's house. We go to Moore Park. I watched her. Mom calls me. Mijo. Will you come watch the Bowl with us? I, I, I never go. I stopped going like 15 years ago. I just don't go anymore. I just don't go. So she calls me. And I, said, and I was like, ah, I don't know. Maybe, you know, maybe. My brother starts texting me. Come on, man. What's going on? Man up, bro. Man up. Come on down. Be a man. Mom's going to make some, make some yapping gotcho. And you're thinking, what's yapping gotcha? Well, yapping gotcha. You ever see the movie Ratatouille? With that meal, stern milk, that real critic of food. And he goes in that restaurant where the rats make him a little little simple dish, right or two, and he takes one bite and it goes back to like four years old oh, right. in, his, in his mom's kitchen. <laughs> oh, mom, I love you. <laughs> Yapping gotcha is that to me. Okay. My mom is the only one that I know that can make it. Yeah. Right? She makes it for my birthdays when I was in the house. Every birthday she says, what do I want, what do I want for, for dinner? I would say, Yapping gotcha. It's an ancient Inca dish. It is incredible, and I love having it. So my mom calls and says, I, I call my mom and says, Mom, is it true? Because <laughs> my brother was texting me, I'm like, is it true? Because I thought he was just saying that for me to commit yes. And you know, my brother's like that. That's why he's not going to heaven. That's why he's like that. He's like this. He's always trying to get me to do something. So I go, is it true, Mom? She's like, yes. I said, Mom, what are you making for dinner? He's like, She's like, I'm making yapping gotcha. I said, oh. Talk to Karen. Karen's the only solution. Oh, the cousin's going to be there. Take my brother. The cousin's going to be there. Yes. Stars were aligning. 
I'm going to be there at 3.30 to encourage my mom and to eat some yapping gacho. I'm going to get Karen in the kitchen. Watch. Just watch. That's a great dish. I'll never go to mama's house again if you, if you make that. There are always people you think that are beyond being saved. Maybe it's the guy in the cubicle, two doors down in your cubicle. That guy's never going to make it. Maybe it's someone you invited to church a thousand times. And you invite them over and over and over. And you're going, they're just never going to make it. There are people that we believe in our hearts. Why even try? They're not going to make it. Why try? Why invite them? They never come. They only come to the chili part, never to the church part. Right? They only come for the event, not the spiritual stuff. Everyone can be saved. So this is Council of Jerusalem. A concern over Gentile conversions. Big issue. Rivalries in the church. Such a rivalry where Peter even got caught off guard. It's another little story you can read about in Galatians. Old Testament and New Testament coming together. New Testament is kind of forming. It's not yet there. They're forming new ground here. But they have the old. So this is a very uh, catalyst situation here. And the leaders in the church meet to discuss. Which is interesting because the church was involved in this decision. Amen. And they reference the reference of Scripture. is going to be very important to make a decision. When you want to be unified, when you want solutions, there's got to be a reference point from God to base your decisions on. Okay, just can't be emotions. So in verse 12, the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul. It was their turn. So Peter had a turn. The, the, the Pharisees had a turn. Paul and Barnabas telling them about the miraculous signs and wonders that God had uh, done among the Gentiles through them. That was one way that you know you were from God is it had to be a miraculous sign attached to to what you were saying about God. Because there was no New Testament. If someone, they were saying, this is from God, and there had to be a miracle attached to it to give your words credibility. Otherwise, you're just talking. And so, they said, not only did they become converted, but there were miraculous signs and wonders done that people saw. And that was the proof. And that's what he's telling the council. Hey, here's the proof. Here are people from Antioch. They're testifying to this. What God has done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. This guy James was a leader in the, in, in, the, in the Jerusalem church. He also was the brother of Jesus. Jesus had brothers. He had the same mother, but different fathers. So he gets up. And he didn't become a Christian until after Jesus resurrected. He, he thought, this, Jesus' brothers, he couldn't even save his brothers until afterwards, right? So there's James. He spoke up and says, brothers, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God at first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for himself. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this as, is, as it is written. What James does here He uses the Bible. Just like the Pharisees used the Bible, but they were kind of stuck on Moses. He used the Bible to highlight what God says about the Gentiles in the future. And he quotes the scripture. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Meaning, the the Jewish people had lost their covenant with God because they, they strayed away from God. 
They strayed so far where God allowed Jerusalem to be captured and destroyed and no prophet was around for 400 years until the Messiah came. So it had fallen. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it that the remnants of men may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who bear my name says the Lord who does these things that have been known for ages. He quotes a prophet in Amos chapter 9 verse 11. He goes back to the Bible to say, look what God said a long time ago about these very Gentiles. He wants them to be saved. That was huge. And he uses the scripture. If you are in a disagreement, what do you use to solve it? Logic? Common sense? Those are helpful. But where is the scriptures? Where is the Bible? To to really bring resolution. To really bring your hearts together. It requires the scripture. It says what has been known for ages. Throughout the Old Testament, there are stories. There are laws to protect the the non-Jewish Gentiles. God protects them. God wants them. He sends sends Jonah to Assyria. He does all these things saying, Hey, it's going to be for all people. But the Jews, because of their bigotry didn't see it. They didn't want to believe it. And here is James saying, hey look, this is what God said back then. It is my judgment, therefore that we should not make it difficult difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, because they were literally idol worshippers. Uh, abstain from sexual immorality. They were, they were, they were uh, very promiscuous people. They had temple shrines where your church service was going in there and having sexual relations with a prostitute as being spiritual. It was a very promiscuous, very sensualized Gentile culture. So abstain from idols. Stop being immoral. And don't eat the meat of strangled animals and from blood. Very specific things that they had to deal with. And they, were, they were living that way. So there's some simple rules for them. Not the 613 commandments in the Old Testament, but some very simple guidelines on how to become a Christian. This is James, the brother of Jesus, speaking up on behalf of you and me. This didn't happen. We'd have to be Jews first, then Gentiles. Or the church wouldn't exist somehow. Or it would have have gone downhill. It was something terrible would have happened. I'm going to show you a video, if we can play it, about what we can do together as a church. Is this playing? Can I do it here?
you know, from the account in the book of Acts, the church leaders wrote the letter to the church to inform them that the Gentiles can be saved through Jesus by faith and by grace. No longer was there a requirement to be a Jewish person first before you became a Christian. And that was a catalyst. Because of their unity. Because of their reference to Scripture. Because when there was a problem, they pursued unity. Antioch didn't say, forget Jerusalem. We're our own church now. We're going to do our own thing. Our own way. And the Jerusalem church, let them have all the Jewish people, we'll have all the Gentiles. They didn't do that. They could have done that. Because the churches were autonomous. They could have done that and said, we can do our own thing. But they pursued unity. And they also pursued, what does the scriptures actually teach about this? And sometimes the scriptures confront your own narrow, myopic view of what it means to be a Christian. You could be wrong in what you think a Christian is. That's why we invite you to study the Bible with us. To let us share with you what we find in Scripture on what it means to be a Christian, a disciple, a follower, and how to be saved by faith through grace. You know, what can we learn? We can learn we can be a unifier in our marriage. You know, as one, you know, uh, in, that, in that video showed that one of them was on the other side, and the other, you know, was animals on the other side. That's a lot like our home sometimes when we fight with our wives. She's on that side emotionally, I'm on this side emotionally. And look who's watching. Satan is watching. Satan is the lion waiting to devour. If I get you divided, then I can attack you easy. And he does that in our marriages. He does that in our parenting. One parent has this conviction. The other parent has that conviction. Hey, be a unifier. Okay, what does the scriptures teach us about parenting? That's your your go-to. And lastly, in your house church, be a unifier. If someone out there in the corner, not he's not making a decision to engage, like Marty had encouraged us, hey, let me go help you engage. Let me go, let me go be your wingman. How about your job at your work? What amazing opportunities we have. Our job is the most you know, scattered place on the planet. Everyone has their own views, their own opinions, their own ways. And then, you know, you're not dealing with Christians who can refer to the Bible. But you can be a unifier. You can unify people. You can lead by example and lead by humility. You know, I want to encourage you. What can you learn from this account? <coughs> when problems arise, pursue unity. When problems arise, reference the Scriptures. You know, even non-Christians appreciate a Scripture or two. You'd be surprised. You might jog their memory and go, Oh yeah, I learned that 35 years ago. Yeah. Treat other people the way you want to be treated. That's the philosophy I try to live by. And my kids viciously hold me accountable to that. (laughs) Treat people the way you want to be treated. And that means at home, I treat my kids the way I want them to treat me, with respect. I try to give them respect without giving my grounds and my rights as a parent. You know, it's that balance. I give them respect, but I'm still dad. And you're still young enough for a (laughs) pow-pow. Be a unifier in your house church. Strive to be unified. Be a unifier at your job. This is what we can take away. This is our to-do. As you go to your 3.30 Super Bowl appointment, when you don your Seahawk jersey, 
Whether you were a secret fan for 14 years and now you became a fan miraculously, who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Or you're just a bitter 49er fan who was just angry. People ask me, Gio, who are you rooting for? Who are you rooting for? I'm rooting for the Seahawks, but not because I like them. Because I'm a Raider fan. And when you're, when you're a real, true Raider fan, when you're miserable, you want everyone to be miserable. You don't want someone out of your division to win. You want no one to win. So therefore, I'm a Seahawks supporter. Now, P- Coach P. Carroll did coach at USC, which I'm a fan of. So there's a connection there. That's, I'm not putting any money on it, but there's a connection there. Let us leave here this afternoon different. Look for those catalyst moments, those events in your life that are opportunities for you to quickly change and help change an environment that is, that is uh, uh, toxic. Amen. Look to be a catalyst and look to change your environment. Thank you so much. Appreciate you guys.